Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I'm Bill Barnwell. Today, Robert Mays of The Athletic is here to talk about last night's Rams-Cardinals game and a shopping list, a Christmas shopping list, if you will, for each of the five rookie quarterbacks and their organizations heading into the 2021 offseason. But first, before we do that, though, wanted to tell you about another ESPN podcast you may not listen to. I'd recommend you do so, though, because it features many of the smartest people covering fantasy football out there. Matthew Berry, Field Yates, Stefania Bell, Mike Clay, and Daniel Dopp on Fantasy Focus Football. The crew provides daily strategy, previews, and injury reports, so you're more than prepared to dominate your fantasy football league. Find Fantasy Focus Football wherever you get your podcasts. And also, ESPN's new weekday studio show is out, NBA Today, hosted by Malika Andrews. It tips off at the start of the NBA season with exclusive content Monday to Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Alongside Malika, there will be a full cast of NBA experts and insiders, including Kendrick Perkins, Chine Aquamike, Vince Carter, Zach Lowe, former Grantland colleague of mine, Zach Lowe, Woj, of course, you got to get the Woj bombs in there, Ramona Shelburne, and many of our NBA reporters from around the league. Get caught up with the latest from around the NBA on NBA Today, 3 Eastern, noon Pacific on ESPN and the ESPN app. One app, one tap, and also available as a podcast. Listen to NBA Today wherever you get your podcast. All right, here is Robert Mays. All right, joining me now, here is Promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, a man who it sounds like, uh, much like big on the sex and the city remake may have just gotten off his peloton is that accurate robert mace it is and it was a really hard ride and i actually was preparing to make a joke that i almost died like big from sex and the city all i know about sex in the city is just period is essentially the big dies on the peloton in this version of sex in the city that's the extent (laughs) of my sex in the city knowledge that's the first fact you learned about sex in the city as a man who uses the peloton most days and often feels like I'm going to fall off of it and croak. It hit a little too close to home. I'm going to be honest with you. Mm. Did you have a cigar before you went on the Peloton? No, 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 no cigar smoking for the most part in my life. So I think, good I think it's probably the combination. I do eat a decent amount of red meat. And I'm not super healthy. So at some point I may have to worry about it, but right now I think I'm doing okay. Well, I don't want that to happen. Certainly not while we're recording at the very least. <laughs> it is, of course, always a delight to have you on, Maze. And I, I want to talk about a couple of things with you today. I want to get to some of the rookie quarterbacks. And sort of since it's the Christmas season or the holiday season, what they should be shopping for, what their owners, what their <laughs> GMs and coaches who are left, who might not be left, should be shopping for, for those quarterbacks into the offseason. But first, I want to talk to you about last night's game because Rams Cardinals, I mean, it lived up to expectations. I thought a, just a really fun game, yeah. you know, like just a, a, a back and forth battle, a lot of fun stuff happening, big plays on both sides of the football on offense and on defense. And I mean, it just felt like, you know, it, it felt like it confirmed some things for me that I, I had coming into the game. And I felt like it made me question some things that I felt like I was pretty confident about. Um, so I want to know in, in general, like watching this game, were you coming out of this more optimistic about the Rams or more pessimistic about the Cardinals versus your expectations going in? I think the Cardinals weaknesses and their relative yeah. weaknesses and some of the things that fueled their start were on full display last night. If you mm-hmm. look at the Cardinals on offense, especially, and their personnel, their weaknesses up front, you know, you got Max Garcia at guard, Kelvin Beecham at, at right tackle. You know, Kelvin Beecham is a wonderful guy at this stage in his career. He's not a high level right tackle. I know Justin Pugh has been hurt, but that's been mm-hmm. the weakness of their offense. And you, that's what showed up last night. I mean, the interior of their offensive line had a hard time dealing with Aaron Donald. And then the other side of it is turnover luck. They mm-hmm. got a lot of bounces of the ball over the first 10, 12 weeks of the season. I mean, their fumble numbers are insane. But even mm-hmm. on the interception side of it, they were really fortunate on the turnover side of things for most of the season. And then last night that came back to normal a little bit and you see what happens when that goes down the defense. I think that they kind of play with fire on that side of the ball mm-hmm. in a, in a year and a world where more teams are willing to play shell coverage. They're willing to be a little bit more conservative. I went and talked to Vance Joseph about this last month and we had kind of a philosophical discussion about 
all right, as more teams do this, why have you shied away from it? And he was mm-hmm. kind of telling me some of the things about why he feels like even with a single high defense, you're not that prone to the big play. You're taking away the post where most big plays happen in the NFL. But when mm-hmm. you're playing those single high structures, you're vulnerable to some of those deep overs that we've seen the Rams hit <laughs> over time. They sure were. I mean, and that's and it was kind of shut up and play the hits game for the Rams, right? It was like, all right, let's put that, let's put the boot game back in action. I think mm-hmm. Stafford was like eight of nine for 170 or something on play action. It was wild. So yeah. I think that you saw some of the vulnerabilities of the way that kind of hyper aggressive kind of on their own. I mean, among NFC teams, among really good NFC teams, the Rams really, or excuse me, the Cardinals really the only team that plays like that on defense. The Patriots mm-hmm. do in the AFC, but I think you saw some of the weaknesses of that. That's kind of what I came to light for me is that some of the areas where you might have some hesitancy about the Cardinals, I think it was warranted. I think that kind of came to fruition a little bit last night, but I still think they're really good. Right. Like not a bad team because they lost to the Rams. Like there's nothing wrong with losing to the Rams, but I I agree. And I'll tell you what, like, I think this felt a lot like a 2020 Cardinals game to me, especially like a late season 2020 Cardinals game where it felt like, okay, we're going to go as far as Kyler magic can carry us. Like yeah. I just, <laughs> there was you know, plenty of it last night, by the way, <laughs> there, that's the thing. He was great, except for the interception on the, the red zone and had another pick as well. I mean, like he, he was really good overall, but you know, watching that offense with Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford, like, yes, Matthew Stafford made some awesome throws in this game, not taking that away at all, but Sean McVay gave him some easy solutions for stuff. Even for big plays, there were like some really easy angles and so easy is the wrong word, but like some angles that were being created by the scheme. And it felt like for Kyler Murray, those answers were not typically there. Like, yes, there were some plays where, you know, stuff popped up here and there, but it felt like it was so much harder for them to create big plays and to create first downs than it was for the Rams in this game. And, and some of that is talent and some of that is injuries to guys like DeAndre Hopkins, but I, I think some of it is just, you know, I'm still waiting for Cliff Kingsbury to be the guy who, you know, his record at the moment tells me he is. And, and I think for a guy who you bring in because he's an offensive minded head coach, because he does have the experience and, and, you know, racking up points, like there's just a disconnect there. Like, like, like I find so many times where I'm just like, okay, Kyler has to make this happen on his own. It, it's not being created in the structure of the offense. It's Kyler working out of structure to make this stuff happen. One of the other things I, I think showed up last night, I know James Conner had a huge day as a receiver, but they could not run the ball efficiently and consistently. No. And that, that to me is one of the issues when I'm looking at some of the numbers last week, they're down near the bottom of the league. I want to say like 23rd or 24th in EPA per rush into light boxes. Mm-hmm. And when you play the way they do, and they're so spread out all the time, you're going to get those looks. You need to hammer those looks. You 100%. need to be able to hammer away at them over and over again. I, we've talked about this so much on our show, me and Nate, all year about how the best offenses are the ones that can just hammer you with anything you need to. Like when they, when you give them an advantageous look, they can run it and they can make you pay for it. And they have mm-hmm. these pivot points within the offense. And I think that kind of goes back to what the Cardinals are up front. They're not going to be able to push you around up front when they have light boxes. And I think that's just one more area where it's a weakness that could come back to bite them as they play the better teams in the NFC here over the next six weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I found it interesting because watching the game last night, but James Conner looked really good and listening to our broadcast and he was getting lauded for his efforts and he had some awesome plays and no, no taking away what James Conner did. He was also averaging 2.4 yards per carry on the ground. And like, yes, like you can be, a useful back in short yardage if you're picking up first down still having 2.4 yards per carry, but like they were not good running the football. And, and some of that is 38% success rate last night running the ball. That's pretty bad. That's, that's pretty not, bad. Not, not that great. Like, yeah, like Sean Harlow is not necessarily going to be Justin Pugh. Like you're going to be better off, but Justin Pugh's not Quentin Nelson in the running game. It's like, yeah, it's exactly. not going to be that big of a difference maker. Um, and the other thing I think is, you know, all year when I've been looking at the Cardinals roster, I, I just, I can't believe they left cornerbacks so untouched. Like they spent so much money elsewhere, and they this is they had Malcolm Butler to start the year, and he retired. No, my regret. Yeah, yeah. I feel like they've done okay at that position. They've gotten by relative to their talent. Yeah, because I think Byron Murphy's had a really nice season. He's kind of yeah. taking that that next step forward. They've done a good job of hiding Marco Wilson, 
That's in, the in certain coverages. Though. Yeah, it, it's at a certain point when you play against these teams, they're going to find your guy, right? They're going to find that guy that they can continue to go after. And you know, that's why defenses, it's, it takes one week, like it takes one guy that's not going to be there on every single play. And that's the problem, I think, with this Cardinals team is that they want to dictate to you. They want to be super aggressive in doing that, but that can leave you vulnerable. And, and I feel like we've seen that a little bit against really good offenses. Yeah. I mean, we saw the big play to Odell Beckham off of mesh. We saw the two big Yankee concept plays. Um, one, the, the bomb was to Van Jefferson for a touchdown where they just, you know, they, there's a number of ways you can deal with that. You can pass off the coverage. You can, you know, have a cornerback try and cap the route. There's, there's different ways you can go about it. The Cardinals didn't do any of those things and just had Van Jefferson run past them for a long score. Later in the game, same concept, but they hit the over to cup. Um, God, it's just my favorite stuff. All that like post over stuff and just all that, just again, the shut up and play the hits version of that offense. I love watching it with a guy who has a bazooka as a, with a right arm. That's the thing. It's right. Like, like, yes, that stuff is all being generated by, uh, you know, good receivers and and a good coach, but also you have to hit throws and like Matthew Stafford has missed some throws in the past few weeks. He didn't miss any throws yesterday. I mean, I felt like this was the, I, I, I felt like, after, like I, I picked him as my NFL MVP after the first half of the season, and then I felt like an idiot for three weeks, and I don't feel like an idiot anymore. I feel like at least I know what I was thinking about back then because he was playing at that level through the first half of the year in terms of the throws he was hitting in this game. It felt like those two guys were playing ridiculous horse against each other. It's like, all right, yes. I hit this one, now you hit this one. It's really funny to me that I think the guys who have made the most eye-popping throws, if you were just stacking them up over the course mm-hmm. of this season are the five foot 10 quarterback who looks like a glitch and a six foot five quarterback that plays for the chargers. Like the two guys who couldn't look more physically different to me, have the most exciting, impressive set of throws in the NFL this year, which I think is an awesome commentary on the state of the league. Yes. I don't know if you've been on Twitter this week, but um, I jokingly replied to our friend Mina Kimes after the Herbert throw saying, Oh, a lot of NFL quarterbacks could make that throw. <laughs> I saw it. And, and everyone, everyone is taking it seriously. And so my mentions for the last two days, just been people furious at me saying, cause I'm suggesting that uh, Justin Herbert, like, like preposterous throw, like, like one of the greatest throws you will ever see. It's just like, Oh yeah, anyone can do that. Uh, I think that's great. Um, yeah. I mean, the Wilson thing is tough. Like I don't think he was the problem in yesterday's game. I think it was more, Jalen Thompson and it was more about just kind of hitting the, you know, the lanes between different receivers. But, you know, I, I just feel like that's such an obvious weak point. And we saw it on the Rams side too. I mean, who was the guy who was getting beat early in this game on the Rams? I still can't remember his name. Or, or, or yes, yes, yes. Kareem or is that his name? Kareem or I want to say like Bobby or, which is not fair. He's, he's not playing uh, Kareem or who played half the snaps for the Rams. And like, obviously, yes, they did not have Jalen Ramsey. They found this out like the afternoon of the game, it was a worst case scenario for that secondary. But it felt like once Orr was out of the game, like the Cardinals didn't really have an answer for what they were supposed to do. Yeah. And that's one of the most impressive things about this is that the Rams lost their starting tight end and a cornerback like 20 minutes before kickoff and not just any cornerback, like the most valuable cornerback, arguably in the entire NFL. Um, This felt like the best, or, or this felt like how would I put it? This was the game that people think about when they think about Aaron Donald. I feel like this was the first time this year where I felt like he was so clearly the most dominant player on the field. Game wrecker is an overused term. This mm-hmm. is one of those games where he can just destroy it by himself. And there are very few guys in the NFL that can do that, where they on every single play, they're liable to swing the game. And he is one of those guys, and last night was one of those games. And I think that even if their defense down to down isn't nearly what it was last year, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for reasons like Kareem or, I mean, their personnel just isn't as good and regression was inevitable anyway. Even if they're going to be sitting there in the middle of the pack defensively where they are right now, you still have that game in you because of the talent that you have it concentrated in a few positions, right? Your front you, can make yeah. these ridiculous plays. You still have... Jalen Ramsey, even if there are weak links, it still feels like their highs are going to be really, really high because of those three or four guys. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to be disappointed, though, by what we've seen from Von Miller so far? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I feel like he has not been that guy, right? Like he hasn't taken over a game yet. But I think that over the course of time, having that guy when it comes to playoff time and just needing a splash play here and there, like that to me feels like 
a divisional round mm-hmm. two sacks. Like, I can't believe we got this guy in the middle of the season sort of trade. Like, that's what it feels like to me when you're going. This is a long haul move. This is a we're trying to win mm-hmm. the Super Bowl sort of move. I feel like there there's still something to come from Von Miller here over the next month and a half. I mean, in terms of like we added a veteran pass rusher and uh, with a bigger name perhaps than his current level of play, but we're still going to get a lot out of him. It does feel like the move for Melvin Ingram has been a lot better than the move for Von Miller so far. I think that for two reasons, one, his impact and two, it's allowed their guys in Kansas city to slide back into the right spots. Yeah. That's been so important when you have, all right, now all the pieces fit together. It's like you drop him in and the whole thing becomes green. You know, it all clicks into place. And I think that's been one of the more important aspects of that, but that's a game changing move. I mean, that's a season changing move potentially for the Chiefs. So I agree with you, but I also think that, I don't know. I just, I just feel like Von Miller is going to have one of those big one or two splash plays here down the stretch that are really going to matter. What do you think about the running back situation for the Rams? I mean, you know, Sony Michelle handled pretty much all the snaps again for the second consecutive game. I'm um, getting his snap count as I talk right here. Yeah, literally every single snap for Sony Michelle at running back. Daryl Henderson, you figure, is going to be coming back um, later on this month. Like, do you feel like they should go back to Henderson? Is there full time back? Are you splitting it? Does it not matter? Like, 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 what do you see the role of the running back being in this offense? I feel like they think Sony Michelle gives them a level of physicality that Daryl Henderson does not. And with the, the changes they needed on offense and the tweaks they needed on offense and that gear to their offense, where it's like, all right, we can line up and we can run it when we need to, when you're going to give us these looks similar to what we were talking about with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. I feel like they believe Sony Michelle gives that to them more than Daryl Henderson does. There's no way to know until we see what the snap counts look like after Henderson is healthy. But I would not be surprised if Sony Michelle was the number one back on that team for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition and right now get five dollars off any eight corner pizza with code eight save that's the number eight s-a-v-e go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a jets pizza location near you again try jet signature eight corner pizza and get five dollars off with code eight save that's number eight s-a-v-e jets pizza better because it has to be do you think this is the big question coming out of this game do you think the Cardinals should have kicked that field goal? No. Not not with five minutes to go? Not a 55-yard field goal? No. I no other thoughts? You don't care? You don't think it matters? I don't know. I I, I'm, I can understand it both ways. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have very serious thoughts or very strong feelings either way. Do you think they should have called inside zone from shotgun on fourth and one? That's probably a better choice, yes. Really? Well, what do you think they should have called? Not that. I I I, I think it should be oh, from, from shot. Okay, okay, from shotgun. I thought. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I I think literally it should be against the law to call inside zone from shotgun on fourth. A and shotgun one. run on fourth and one. Yeah, that makes sense. You should, you should go straight to. They should they literally should have been people dragging Cliff Kingsbury off the sideline um, with that play call. Now, granted, Kyler might have checked into it. There might have been a a read attached to it. There might've been, you know, different things here or there. Like, I think uh, there was at least one play late at the game where Kyler audible and Cliff was criticized for the play call. That stuff happens, but I just don't want to ever have to be in that scenario. It's the problem when it's the one issue where you're a shotgun team with a five, nine quarterback, right? The, those under center quarterback sneaks are not necessarily on the table for you in the same way they are for other teams. Also, I just loaded up the play. And I looked at the bot. The Rams have a three-man box on this fourth and one. That's my. That's what I'm saying, though. I mean, it's one of those things where they can't push teams around when they need to. That's a perfect example. It, it's a it's, three-man it's, box. I'm I'm not. I will I will send you like it's a three-man box, and uh, James Conner doesn't get the yard. Like Aaron Aaron Donald Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald occupies two guys, and then uh Ernest Jones shoots in and makes the play. It's incredible. At a certain point, you don't deserve to win, right? If you can't no. get that, you probably don't deserve to win. <laughs> you can't win plus, 
plus, possibly plus three with Kyler um, in the box. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. I mean, like, I, I guess I worry. I think about this Cardinals team in the past where, where last year it felt like they wore down as the season went on. They're one of the smallest teams in football. They're built on speed. Their quarterback is the smallest quarterback in football. And it kind of, I, I get worried that they're going to be worn down again by the time we get to January. Um, we've already seen DeAndre Hopkins, who missed time, um, was unable to play on the final drive of this game after the onside kick and then is getting checked out for a foot injury. Um, we saw Kyler, I think a little slow to get up. James Connor was limping at the end of this game. Like, like yes, I, I don't think those guys necessarily have serious injuries, but it, like this is a team where it just felt like, you know, they have to have those guys playing at a high level to be good. And I'm worried that they're going to be compromised by getting hit so often. I really hate that as I've gotten older, I've just become like old crotchety football guy where it's like, man, you just need to be able to run the ball in January. You know, you just need that level of physicality. You got to be able to push people around. They're built for the weather. And as I look at some of these other teams, that's what's happening. It's also just because the, the league is so cyclical and it's mm-hmm. always going to come back around. Right. And I do feel like those teams that can line up and run the ball when they need to run the ball have a decided advantage because of some of the shifts we've seen defensively in the NFL so far this year. And, but it's just such a caricature of myself sort of thing. It's like, man, they just got to be able to run the ball. You know, they're not tough enough, but I do truly believe those things. Like it's one of I those can't. things where I, five years ago, I would have laughed at myself for saying mm-hmm. that. And now I truly believe it in my bones. You've been talking to too many coaches. I know. It's, ex- it's exactly right. It's, uh, it's exactly what it is. What do they know? Listen to me, the, the, the idiot who writes about football in his bedroom, not the coaches. I mean, I, I think a game like Cardinals Colts in two weeks is going to be a lot of fun because you're going to have a very disciplined defense and an offense that can just run it down your throat. And yeah. it, they're like, like so different from the Cardinals to me. Like the Cardinals, they're not, they're not disciplined, but they're just like freak athlete, freak athlete, freak athlete on defense. And the Colts, I mean, they're very centered. They have to force Buckner. Those guys are pretty impressive, but like, they're just like such a, a different kind of defense in so many ways. They're the exact opposite teams. <laughs> That's what it feels like. It, it is so true. I mean, the Colts have no stars on offense, right? Except for Jonathan Taylor. Like they have no I, pass catching stars. I like Michael. Pitt. I, I, excuse me. Have, have you seen the guy who plays guard for them? I'm talking about skill position talent. Okay. I, I mean, skill position talent. They are not a team full of stars and they don't have a Chandler Jones. I mean, for the most part, they are just a really solid team overall. Their mm-hmm. defensive philosophy is the exact opposite defensive philosophy that the Cardinals have, where yeah. they are not going to let you get those gashes and they're going to sit there and be patient and try to play into your nature as an offensive coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, Matt Eberflus is, I, I talked to him last week for something that I was working on and it's really fun talking to these defensive coaches and just the different philosophies that they have. And he's one of these guys. It's like, I just can't let this machismo take over me. Like if there's going to be a team that is running for like four and a half yards of carry, you just can't like slip back into this most basic nature of yourself where it's like, I need to toughen up. You need to Mm -hmm. let that happen. You need to trust your plan. And these defensive coaches that believe that, and then these other guys that are like, hell no, like you're not getting a single (laughs) yard. It's going to be second and nine. We're going to dictate. It's just so fun listening to these different philosophies across the league. And both of them work. Like you can make them both work. The Patriots are, have been the best defense in football for the last month and a half. And they don't play a too high defense ever. Like it just, it's not part of who they are. So it, you can see it in application work both ways, but it's so funny to watch how different it is. Was I the one, or was I talking to you where we were talking about the Patriots defense this year? And I was like, yeah, they're not going to be as good as they were two years ago. I know. Well, why would they? I mean, the turnovers a couple of years ago was such a huge part of it. And it's, it's so funny. I'm wrong. Like 96% of the time. But when I was looking at the Patriots coming into the year, I just thought they're going to bully people. Like they're just going to bully yeah. the hell out of people every single play. And that's what they do. I mean, those guys they have up front and just the different body types they have and watching that base front that they run where they have a head up nose and their two defensive ends play five techniques like outside shade of the tackles. You don't see that in the NFL ever anymore because teams have 220 pound linebackers. So if you give guards free releases onto your linebackers, they're just going to get swallowed. Well, the Patriots linebackers weigh 265 pounds, so they don't care. 
and watching just stylistically how different they are from everyone else. I mean, this to me, there has never been a Patriots team that I have watched that has been more ziggurat when everybody else is zagging than this one right mm-hmm. now. The way that they're built on defense and the fact that even if you look at the two back teams in the NFL, right? The, the Ravens, the Niners, who play 21 mm-hmm. personnel all the time. The way they're using that H-back is in a very new age sort of way. They're putting Kyle Juszczyk in motion. They're using him to get mm-hmm. on the perimeter. He's a tight end every once in a while. Jakob Johnson is just a 250-pound battering ramp. He's just straight downhill runs all the time. So even if you try to put them in the same family as these other two-back teams, it's not the same. They're so, so different, and they're such an outlier. And I just feel like Belichick loves that. Like He loves so much to be different than everyone else and still be succeeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think you were the one who said it. I owe you an apology. I was wrong about the Patriots. I thought they'd be good. Did not think they would be this good in the secondary. And I was with, I was assuming that Fine Gilmore was going to show up and he hasn't even played for them all year. He got traded. It's wild. I mean, the, just, and they're, it's just the depth. How many different groups they can throw at you, both up front and on the back end. That's the scariest part about it is that you have teams across the NFL. I mean, I root for one of them who would kill for a second viable corner. And the <laughs> Patriots have like seven guys they can play in the secondary. It's crazy. You mean J- Jalen Johnson being stuck on Devontae Adams every single snap is not a, a good strategy for your defense? I mean, the, Bears don't, the Bears are out there. Slot corner, Artie Burns is playing a bunch. It is not a good situation right now. Well, let's talk about the Bears. Let's oh, talk gosh. about the rest. Right. Oh, we're, not, we're only going to talk about the offense. We're going to talk about the future. You can imagine, you can draw up your own future for the Chicago Bears and the four other teams who have rookie quarterbacks. We're going to talk about what they can do to build around those quarterbacks in the offseason to come. And let's start with the Chicago Bears, where, I mean, like, I, I, I don't even want to pretend that Matt Nagy is going to be back. Like, I truly he, don't know what I'd do. He, he can't. It, it can't it, it, I, I want you to think. Like, just take a second. Try to put yourself in that space. You see the tweet come across tweet deck that the Bears have decided to retain Matt Nagy. What do you think? What do you say? What's your reaction? I go for a long walk, depending on what time of year it was. And and I have like a real conversation with myself about whether this is worth it anymore. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Do you return from that long walk? Do you have a dog to walk and stuff? I mean, I have responsibilities. (laughs) If it was just me anymore, then probably not. But uh, unfortunately, I have people in my life that count on me to eat. So my fiance doesn't count on me to eat, but my dog certainly does. So I I, I do have people that that care about me. So I probably would return. I I would sit there and be like, God, you know, what would my dad think about this? Like, if I just gave up Mm -hmm. on this team, would he understand? Like, a really serious come to Jesus sort of conversation about this franchise and my place within my fandom. I mean, like, I, I don't think it's likely, but I don't think you can rule it out. Like I, I, they, think, I, I, that's, that's probably true, but it, I, I think that it's probably not going to happen. I think he's going to be gone. I think they're going to clean house. That's what it feels like to me. I, I can't imagine that they wouldn't, but I'm honestly shocked. He was even here this year and it happens. I know. I know. To me, the Trace, the Trace Armstrong rumor is really interesting to me. For people who don't yeah. know, the, the bear, part of the Bears issue, and this is like inside baseball stuff, but this stuff matters, right? The Bears, sure. the people who run the football operation for the Bears are not football people. Like George McCaskey and Ted Phillips, who's the team president, they are not football people. And I think they have a, such a dearth of knowledge and expertise in this area. And when you're trying to build a football team, that's mm-hmm. a concern. And there's been a rumor out, I think Jason Lockenfora from CBS reported that the Bears have been talking to Trace Armstrong, who right now is a very prominent coaching agent, but he mm-hmm. also played for the Bears. He was a defensive end. And it's an interesting idea to me because I think someone with that sort of background that has a really detailed understanding of the coaching profession, the people available in the coaching profession, their mm-hmm. reputations among that group and in that world having someone like that in a vice president of football operations role or however you want to define it to say, like, mm-hmm. all right, we're going to retool what the football side of this looks like to find the right GM, to find the right head coach. At least it's a different idea 
because mm-hmm. they haven't had that. You know, for years and years and years, Jerry Angelo ran the football side of things. And then when that regime petered out, you go to this disastrous Phil Emery, Mark Tressman time, and then they overcorrect from you go from Mark Tressman, who is zero head coaching experience in the NFL and is kind of a creative hire from the CFL. Then you overcorrect mm-hmm. back to establishment coach in John Fox. John and Fox, it's just, yeah. there's been such a, just a swinging of the pendulum back and forth. And I just feel like some stabilizing force. It's like, all right, this is how football works in the NFL in 2021. Mm-hmm. This is the power structure you need. These are the personalities that you need. That is, those are the types of changes this organization needs. And that to me is why somebody like that, when I heard that, some, like the light went on in my head. I was like, okay, like, I don't know if that's going to work, but it's, we're heading in an interesting direction here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm going to ask you this. You don't have to give me a top three, but I'm going to let you give me up to three options. Again, imagine the tweet comes across from Adam Schefter. The Bears have hired blank to be their next head coach. Who comes through on that tweet that makes you happiest? That's plausible. Like, no, like Sean Payton is not an option. Oh, please. No. You, you writing that hypothetical about the Bears trying to hire Sean McVay the other day. I assume it was on purpose and I don't appreciate it. I, I was thinking about like, like what would be the saddest possible combination. And that came to mind immediately. I, I have two names that I was thinking of. Okay. And, and they're, they're attracted to me for different reasons. Okay. If we stylistically were trying to build an offense around Justin Fields that I thought fit his strengths, I think what the Bucks do and the structure of their offense, I think is fascinating because he's mm-hmm. a big game hunter. That's what he is. He wants to push the ball down the field. He wants to be aggressive. His downfield accuracy outside of his athleticism is his greatest strength. Mm-hmm. So Byron Leftwich becomes an interesting name to me, right? Mm-hmm. I, the, his rise in coaching is completely tied to how Bruce Arians saw him as a coaching prospect, right? So Bruce convinces him to come out of retirement. I've talked with Bruce and with Brian Byron about this at length. He comes out of retirement, convinces him to get off the golf course, starts coaching. From that point, takes a fairly traditional path, but is very good at it and rises quickly. Bruce gives up play calling in Tampa and Mm -hmm. lets Byron call the offense. I think that there is no one else that Bruce Arians has ever come across in his coaching career that would have compelled him to do that other than Byron Leftwich. He has said that. Mm -hmm. I also think part of the reason he gave that to Byron was that he believed Byron was going to be a head coach and a good one. And Mm -hmm. he wanted that path to be open to him because especially for coaches of color, if you're not a play calling offensive head coach, it's very, very hard to get that job. We've seen it over the last several years. Mm -hmm. That stamp of approval and what their offense has looked like and how good they've been over the last couple of years, talent aside even, it's compelling to me. And I do think that offense fits what Justin Fields does well. On the other side of things, where the offense doesn't necessarily fit his strengths, but I think that the way we've seen quarterbacks in that system play, how conducive that system is to quarterback improvement, education, and development is Josh McDaniels. Mm. Those are the two that I had in mind. I will say this. Mm. Nobody knows anything when it comes to head coaching hires. Nobody knows anything. Those are just like those two guys represent ideas to me more than they represent people or tangible plans. Because if you had told me that Sean McVay was going to be a really good head coach, I would have just kind of thrown my hands up. I think Mm -hmm. that it's really difficult to identify who these guys are. But as archetypes, those are the two that I had in mind. I mean, you can poke a lot of holes in both those guys, especially sure. McDaniels, frankly. You absolutely would, could. <laughs> would you be comfortable getting McDaniels personnel control? No. I, I, I mean, I think you probably could guess I would say no based on that question. Um, That's I wonder part if you, of this is you need a GM. You need a partnership. Like you, you need a partnership that you have faith in and that you trust. That, that to me is going to be one of the most important parts of this entire thing. If they move on from Ryan Pace, which I don't know if they're going to. Yeah, I mean, we can leave Pace aside, but that's another conversation for another day. Um, would you consider any defensive coaches or suggest we have to get an offensive coach for Justin Fields? 
I feel like that defensive coach would be such a rare type of coach. Like, unless it was a Brandon Staley type where I feel like their view on offensive football and what he could do for your quarterback. I think that that needle is very, very difficult to thread for me personally. I have always been, I would hire an play calling offensive head coach. If I was starting from scratch, if I was doing this all over again with any franchise, especially if I had a young quarterback, 90 times out of 100, 95 times out of 100, I'd hire an offensive-minded play-calling head coach. Who do you think they will actually hire? Oh, my God. Who knows? That, that's what I'm talking about with this team. Who knows? I mean, anything is on the table, especially if the current power structure is the one making the decision. That's why there's so, it's so terrifying to think it's just going to be more of the same. But I, I truly have no idea. Can I give you my wild guess? Sure. I think the next head coach of the Chicago Bears will be Doug Peterson. That's totally fine with me. I think, I, I, think, I think that's totally that's fine with me. It's a really fine. interesting idea. The problem is, here's the only thing. You're going back. You're plucking another piece of fruit off that tree, man. I mean, it's the <laughs> same thing. It's, it's a... Chiefs offensive coordinator that coached under Andy Reid. I mean, I understand that it's, it's been a long road since then, but mm-hmm. I'd be a little bit concerned about that similarity and background to what Matt Nagy is if you were thinking about the optics of the hire. But I, that's almost why I think they would do it is that I think, you know, Ryan Pace made that hire the first time around. So it wouldn't shock me if that's what he found compelling about another hire, even if Matt Nagy, you know, necessarily didn't work out. I'd be totally fine with that. I, I, I think that he deserves another, I don't know if deserves, but I think he, I'd be fine with him getting another chance. He's been successful. Um, he was on my show earlier this year, and I just thought some of the things he had to say and some of the ideas that he brought were really interesting. Um, I'd be fine with that. If that, that's what happens, I will tip my cap to them and we'll move on. <laughs> you are wearing a cap constantly. We know from the video footage of the athletic football show, usually a Nordique hat, if I'm not mistaken. It's because I don't, have the patience or the interest in doing my hair during the day when I'm just sitting in the house. I mean, this is why I, I, I don't know. I don't know how this problem. I don't know what that's like. Um, other team in the news team you talked about on your podcast, the athletic football. I want I, I have a couple more things for the bears. Okay. I don't want to dwell on the players for your sake, but we can go further if you'd like. I have a couple more ideas. One, they need, I would like a veteran center. Ryan Jensen is a free agent. They, they are he? going to have, Yes. They are going to have some financial flexibility this offseason. I think that bringing in a veteran center to anchor your offensive line with a young quarterback is very, very important. Their decision to keep Sam Mustafer as the starting center this year, I think, is a misstep. What okay, the Chargers I, did, yes, hold on. Can I ask you a question? You know Nate Tice pretty well. I do. Do you think Sam Mustafer is his least favorite player in the NFL? Oh, God, no. There are definitely guys he likes less. You think? Yes. I don't know. I feel like he really does not like Sam Mustafer. There are guys, I'd have to think about it, but there are guys that have drawn his ire more than Sam Mustafer. I'm confident in saying that. We will ask Nate off air who his least favorite player is. I think that Sorry. what the Chargers did and their thought process with Corey Winsley this year is very, mm-hmm. very smart. And I feel like the Bears would be well served following a similar plan. They also, in my opinion, need an outside ball winner that is cheaper than Allen Robinson will be. A guy like Michael Gallup, somebody like Mike Williams, that's interesting to me. That like mm-hmm. offensive personnel, those are the two things I would chase. As part of their new coaching staff, I mm-hmm. think the Doug Peterson thing makes this really interesting. I would offer someone like Andy Heck the mm-hmm. most money given to a position coach in the NFL, and I would give him a promotion to be the run game coordinator because I think that is the number one thing outside of your head coach when it comes to building a coaching staff, period is hiring the right offensive line coach. I think he's one of the right. best ones in the league. I think that make, giving him like $2.8 million a year and giving him a promotion, that is the type of thought process I want them to follow when they build this thing. You wouldn't, I mean, Andy Heck is a very good offensive line coach, but would you not just go straight to the top? You wouldn't go for like Callahan? I don't think you could hire Callahan. I think that um, he is. He already is the highest paid assistant in the league. So that, 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 that to me was, is part of it. And I think that with Heck, one of the reasons is that he's, he is, I think, technically still just the offensive line coach. So in order to hire one of those guys, I don't know, contractually, you need to give them a promotion sometimes to yeah. actually get them interviewed. So that run game coordinator spot, that's what happened with John Benton. He was going to the Jets this year, is that they 
promoted him technically. And so that's one way to do it because I think the lot, the bears are like right now they're tied into the personnel up front with Jenkins, Mm -hmm. with Larry Borum, possibly uh, James Daniels is a free agent, so they could make some tweaks there, but I think that they are going to be locked into some of those guys. And I just want to see them do everything they can to elevate the players they already have on the offensive line. Why don't the chiefs just make him run game coordinator? They certainly could. But I would take a swing at somebody like that. I wouldn't go get an unproven offensive line coach. My first call would be to one of these guys that doesn't have that title and say, here is the biggest salary. It's To me, it's such an inefficiency in the NFL. There is no cap on paying coaches. I, I would call and I would just say, here it is. Here is the, the, the biggest salary for a position coach in the league. You are now the run game coordinator. Do you want to take it? Like Make it a number so big they can't say no. Mm-hmm. And if the Broncos move on from Munchak, and they move on yes. from that staff period. Obviously, that's right. the white whale. But something like that to me, I just think is such an understated part of building a new staff. Like the Eagles retaining Jeff Stoutland this year and making mm-hmm. him the run game coordinator is one of the reasons the Eagles are a viable NFL team. So that's like the one thing I think is quietly super, super important as they rebuild this thing. I agree. But do you think Andy Heck just did not take the title because he's embarrassed to be associated with the Chiefs running game? <laughs> Possibly. I don't he's know how like, he feels oh. about Doug Peterson, but Obviously, they work together. So yeah. uh, that, that's so, a connection I mean, point I didn't think about. I mean, as we saw from the handshake with Urban Meyer and Mike Rabel this past <laughs> week, just because you work together does not mean that you're friends. Yeah, I mean, we we hate each other and we worked together for a long time. I, I, I was trying to think of like what circumstance situation would lead me to give someone that handshake. <laughs> and, 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 it's, and it's like, you know, like, like, like I'm, I'm very happy with how things have worked out for me, but like, the ex do I felt most like angry or guilty or jaded about and meeting their like, like, you know, very successful husband. I, I think I'd give that handshake. Maybe that was, that was incredible. Like you could, I, I want to see a 30 for 30 just on the Mike Rabel, Urban Meyer relationship based on the handshake. There is no one in my life that I would be like that with. I, I don't harbor resentment toward anyone because yeah. anyone that doesn't like me, I implicitly know that it's because of something <laughs> I did. So yes. that's why I don't, I, I carry no ill will toward any person because if there's any sort of tension, I know I'm the one that screwed up. So that <laughs> possibility does not exist in my world. That's fair. That's fair. Urban Meyer does not have that concern. As he would tell you, he's heard about other coaches who feel guilty about things and he doesn't need to feel guilty about that. That's not his problem. <laughs> what Mike, like, I realize we live in strange times, and I, I realize this is not the podcast to talk about, about maybe comparisons we can make with Urban Meyer to other people in the real world. But, like, is he so out of touch with reality that, like, he doesn't see how bad all this stuff is? Or does he, is he just so confident in his ability that he's just like, yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll be good, and then nobody will care. Because, like, I could believe number two. I can't believe number one. Is it the most embarrassing head coaching performance that you have seen since you took over, since you started doing this job? Well, I mean, you asked Nate and he said Lou Holtz, like in terms of like incompetent rookie coaches. I mean, I, I, I really can't think of one that was worse. Like, yes, there have been coaches who were overmatched. There have been coaches who, um, you know, just did not do a good job. Now, I, I had not really started as a football writer the year Bobby Petrino was in Atlanta. I think it was 06 or 07. It was 07. Like, it was the year before Matt Ryan was drafted. Yeah, it was right before I started. I started in 08, basically. Um, so I don't remember how bad that was. And I think it was sort of colored by the fact that, like, oh, like they had Michael Vick and Michael Vick got arrested. And so they were starting, like, Joey Harrington off the street. But, like, this is a team that has... Trevor freaking Lawrence at quarterback and and to see not just how bad they are but like how many off-field embarrassing things have happened and how not disgraceful but like you would figure okay maybe Urban Meyer just does not have any social mores or social wares like maybe he's just like uh, a, a total like football coach like idiot outside of the football world you would at least count on Urban Meyer with a bunch of former coordinators as his coaches to build a competent offense. And watching that offense week after week, 
Like it is incredible to see how many mental mistakes there are, how many protection breakdowns there are, how many times receivers are not on the same page with each other or with the quarterback, how many times routes are run to the wrong distance, how many times there's miscommunication between quarterback and receivers. Like it is staggering how poorly this offense is coached. And that is like the one thing maybe you could have counted on in hiring Urban Meyer. And yet here we are. When I say disgraceful, I don't mean his off-field behavior. I mean the state of their football franchise. And the it's not surprising to me when you watch their offense and they have a complete lack of detail. And then he gets asked this week about Andre Sisko's snaps and whether he's going to be playing more. And he said, oh, yeah, I think he's been playing more. And the man that he's discussing, a rookie that they drafted fairly high, had zero snaps on Sunday. When you don't know how many snaps your players are playing, why would we have any faith in that those players understanding how to run routes at certain depths? That's what's disgraceful to me. Like it is a truly embarrassing football product. I am on a, on a group text right now with a friend of ours whose name I will not say. Um, but he, uh, he, he and I are just coming up with fake names to, to, to that we want, we want Jaguars beat writers to ask Urban Meyer about. Like, I think I won that was like, yeah, how, how did, uh, how did Michael Olive Garden do for you last night uh, on special teams? Did you think that he, he showed up? Like, Urban's going to fall for one at some point before the end of the season. When you hear your family, man. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, when you're part of the Urban Meyer organization, if you're leaking, you're not family anymore. That is the one thing Urban Meyer has threatened to stamp out. Oh. Not not the mental mistakes on offense, not the uh, sexually uh, confusing behavior off the field. But yes, the media is the problem with this team. I mean, like, like I know that they asked Shad Khan about it. Um, on his yacht a couple of days ago, the Jacksonville media. And he said, like, I want to do the right thing for the city. I want to do the right thing for uh, the team. Like, I, I know it's going to be expensive to get rid of Urban Meyer, but they can't bring him back. Can they? Like, is there no, any no, way? He they should not be the coach right him? now. He, he, he should not be the coach. Like right now, I don't think he should be. I typically I, don't think there's a ton of value in in-season firings. To me, yeah. it's always seemed kind of silly. I yeah. absolutely think there's value in this. You just make Daryl Bevel the head coach for the final month of the season. You know what I said when you asked me to make a list for these guys and what their gift list should be heading into the season. For Trevor Lawrence, it's the neuralizer for men in black. I just want to be able to flash a light in his face and have him go back to April 2021, the day that he was drafted, and forget Mm -hmm. that any of this ever happened. So the faster I can just cut this off and just cut off this path that the franchise is heading down, I want to do it. I want to pull the plug immediately because mm-hmm. I honestly think that continuing to do this and have these moments is more embarrassing and more detrimental to the state of the franchise than just firing him right now. I mean, it's going to take a year to recover. Like if they, even if they fire him, like, like given how embarrassing things were this year, like they're going to have trouble attracting free agents unless they make just a, a slam dunk. Everybody loves him higher, which I don't know if there's one out there this off season. Like it is so brutal. I mean, so give yourself a chance for like two games where yep. guys are invigorated and they feel good. It's like, Oh man, like we let's win this for us and have a couple great, nice moments and maybe a high note that you can end the season on. Maybe like that to me is worth it. Chasing that is worth it. And I very rarely think that. This is basically just the plot of Major League with Urban Meyer substituted for the owner of the Indians. So true. Or it's the end of Varsity Blues. It's <laughs> just puts him, put Daryl Bevel on some crutches and have him kick Urban Meyer out of the locker room at halftime. I mean, I. It's going to be so much money to fire him. Like, like, I know they can afford it, but like, I think Urban Meyer's deal is rumored to be like 10, 12 million a year. And you know, he didn't sign like a two year deal. God, good for Urban Meyer, man. I guess. I I mean, like, maybe we're just hoping he retires. Maybe you just hope that he's like, like, that he's going to realize this is not for him. And he'd rather go make $10 million a year to be like a, a CBS announcer or something. Do you because... think he wants to get fired? If, if This kind of feels like that moment with the Andre Sisko thing felt yeah. like George dragging the World Series trophy around in the parking lot to me. Did you, did you hear the offensive line question he got asked by the Jags fan? No. 
Uh, I guess they had a Jags fan on the press conference or on some kind of press conference he was doing. Great. And the Jags fan was like, Jackson was like, you told us the offensive line was going to be good. The offensive line sucks. And like, when is it going to get better? <laughs> when, when is it going to get better? And Urban just kind of like, just nods and is like, yep. And that's it. He didn't respond at all. That was the whole whole response. It. I, I will say, like, I have now been covering the NFL for almost 15 years. Wow. And... And I know you're telling me. And I I have seen a lot of stuff. This is unique. Like I, I have never I, I really have not seen a coach who was like down as bad as Urban Meyer has been the past couple of weeks. And it, it's it's almost fascinating. Like, like I wanted to end because I feel bad for the franchise and I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence. But like just seeing him try and talk people into a second season. The idea is so funny to me. It is deeply funny. I do agree with that. If if he seemed like even a halfway decent guy, I would not be enjoying this as much as I am. Right. Right. Like, 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 like Jim Thompsonla, like was not a great head coach and it was a bad situation. But like no reason to think, oh, Jim Thompsonla should be like embarrassed. Urban Meyer should be embarrassed and he's not. That's what makes no, he's belittling so much- his coaches in meetings. That, that to me is the thing. Like, a lot of stuff he's done has been bad, but I think if that story is true, I think you have to fire him. I, I, I don't think you can go forward with him because not only are the players not going to respect him, but the coaches aren't going to respect him either. And that is compromising your players uh, and their ability to get work done and improve. I just can't even imagine it in like a professional workspace. Like you walk in there and the guy that who is your boss starts screaming at you that you're a loser and he's been more successful than you. Oh, I mean, I, I don't want to talk about any places we've worked in the past, but I'm kidding. Um, anyway, so the Jags, new coach, kind of same thing as the Bears. It's it's and the first thing on my list after Neuralizer is just new coach. I mean, <laughs> it, coach. I don't, that's seriously, those are the three, I, the three things I have listed. This is not a joke. Neuralizer for Men in Black, new coach, speed at wide receiver. Like those are the three <laughs> things that I have listed. It's such a depressing list. Is is there a different sort of coach you would go for as opposed to um, the coaches you listed? Because Byron left, which I mean, would be a first time head coach. Not that he, not that first time head coaches can't be good because they can. But would you go for someone who has NFL experience? Just that I'd be like, okay. Not that Byron Leftwich won't be a professional, but just like someone who has stability, who has been has dealt with this job before, who's not going to get overwhelmed or not just turn into a disaster the way Urban Meyer has. I this is one where I think chasing a shot of adrenaline might be worth it, right? I mean, we've tried really? to do this so many times, just because it's so it feels like it's so rotten there now. I think that, and this is I'm going to say something really stupid. It's like just find the next Sean McVay. And when I say that, I mean, just, and Matt LaFleur, I think is another really good example of this. Mm-hmm. Some, somebody that's young, somebody that has like a real energy about them that can kind of change the shape of what this looks like there. I think mm-hmm. that's worth it. I don't necessarily need a stabilizing force. Who's like a 60 year old head coach. who's going to write the ship. I, I feel like doing something to give yourself a, a shot in the arm is worth the pursuit in my mind. I mean, I understand you want a young, exciting coach phase, but Joe Judge is not coming available and staying with the Giants for another year. Um, I, 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 I would go with, uh, I, I mean, I think someone like a Kellen Moore could make sense. But, you know, I, I almost wonder, again, with, with given how much of a mess this is, I wonder if it's just like, let's get the professional who has a bunch of coaches who he trusts. Like, let's just try and get an adult in the room. Because so what you're saying is the Jaguars should hire John Fox. <laughs> I mean, it worked out for the Bears. They won. They made it to the playoffs three years out, or it took four years, but they got there eventually. It's definitely the route that everyone should follow. <laughs> uh, who else do we have? Uh, Niners, I feel like it's different because we know the regime change isn't coming. There might be a playoff team this year. And it's not really about the offensive sort of pieces they might want to add around Trey Lance, but is there anything you think you'd want to try and go for to make Trey Lance's life easier, or is it just focus on the defense this offseason? Uh, just improvements on the right side of the offensive line. Like make, try to make Aaron Banks a viable NFL player by the start of next year. Like other than that, I don't think they have a ton of needs offensively in terms of talent. I think they could use a burner. Like that is one thing that they really don't have. Like they have Debo's skill set is so unique 
And I think that Ayuk is a really talented player. I think that they do. If I was going to add one ingredient to that offense, that's what I would do. But it's so hard to understand what they need offensively because I don't know what the offense with Trey Lance looks like. So mm-hmm. that, that's why it's a little bit complicated. But I think that's a weird one. And then uh, well, you can be, we can move on. I was, I was going to like transition for you, but this is your show. <laughs> Please. Yeah. Well, the other one that mm-hmm. I, I didn't have a ton of stuff for. What did you have for Mac Jones? I, I think if they could get a actual number one receiver, that was the only thing I had was uptick in receiving talent like that. It, because I, I think it's funny because I don't think they have an actual number one receiver, but I do think that the receiving skill sets fit together. Well, like Bourne is such a great contested catch red zone, third down option. That's like yeah. truly his superpower. And he, but that's what he does. Well, Aguilar is a field stretcher. So you have a vertical threat. So the pieces fit together well, but I don't think you have a matchup destroyer. Like that is the one thing that they don't have. And they probably could need because even along the offensive line, like Trent Brown's a free agent, but theoretically like Michael and Wenwood just slots into right tackle next year. Like they have pieces there. So I do think Mm -hmm. that true number one guy, which they're, those aren't a dime a dozen. Those are hard to find. That would be the thing that I would chase if I were that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if that guy is out there necessarily. Maybe it's Mike Williams. I think that's a, you know, that's asking a lot for Mike Williams, but I, I, I think it would make all those other guys better. Where it, it kind of feels like a little bit that. of like a little bit of like 2018 Bears here where people are like looking at all these pieces they had and they're like, wow, what great moves. And it's like Hunter Henry's on pace for 500 yards. And like, yes, all those pieces have made Mac Jones better and they are useful in their own right. But like, there's still a lot of meat on the bone with that passing offense. And I think if you take the next step forward, they do need, you know, they need that X receiver, whoever it ends up being. I agree with that. I also think that um, they miss James White. Like just that element of offense. I think that having a receiving back and just dropping that back in, which the nice part for them is that's not hard to imagine, right? Like we we know exactly what it looks like. So you don't have to change your offense at all to add that element. You just need to get that skill set back in the rotation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, they, they can afford it. They can make it work. They can draft someone. I know there's like, I think six first round picks at wide receiver in Tom McShay's most recent mock draft. Like, like they'll have options to do what they want to do. Um, I just love the idea of this Drake London guy on their team. That's six, five, just monster dude from USC is fun to me. Just, just the name Drake London. I'm just picturing him like kind of dressed like Gambit, maybe. <laughs> Just a trench coat and a headband on. Yeah, yeah. Like I figure, like you know, the NFL has been pretty lax on numbers. Like I figure, the next thing is you can show up to football games wearing a trench coat. Why not? Uh, speaking of headbands, you want to talk about Zach Wilson? He's the last one left, man. We don't have any other choice. Um, I, uh, you know, Niners. It's tough to think of who they'd add. The Patriots. It's very straightforward. The Jets. Pretty much a lot is is what I've discovered about the Jets. Like I think they have to be pretty psyched about what Elijah Moore has shown the past few weeks. And after that, uh, I guess Corey Davis is locked into his spot, and that is pretty much it so far for the Jets. I guess, you know, Mekhi Becton, you, you missed the entire year pretty much with injury. Elijah Vera Tucker, I mean, have you watched a lot of Elijah Vera Tucker this year? Have you had any, any thoughts on him? I've watched him a little bit. I, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable, like, giving a synopsis about what his rookie season has looked like. I've watched the Jets in passing. As I texted you this morning, I went back and I watched the game against the Saints uh, this morning, and I was resenting you the entire time I was watching it because I have not watched much Jets football, but felt compelled to watch a little bit before we talked about Zach Wilson today. Well, as you said, uh, this is your fault, so you can't blame me for it. You just said you don't resent people, so it seems like you can't blame me for it too much. I'll, I'll um, get over it. I'll, I'll consider it as my fault for not watching more of the Jets by the time today is over. So oh, I, I actually watch a surprising amount of the Jets, um, strangely enough, sadly enough. Like, to like, me, the thing that jumped out was it just feels like they need more physicality on offense. Like when you watch that game yeah, against it's a the Saints, uh, it just they are getting pushed around, and it's it's a bunch of different positions, right? There are backside runs where Laurent Duvernay Tardif is just missing cutoff blocks. I think that they a retooling of the interior of their offensive line doesn't necessarily need to be high draft picks, but I just think some I don't know what I can say, but like ASS kickers on the on the interior of the <laughs> offensive line, I think would be nice. Um, just and then on the right side. You know, Moses, uh, Morgan Moses on one year deal. I think George Fant has no guaranteed money left on his contract after the season. Mm-hmm. So if they wanted to do something on, on the right side and then getting Beckton back would be a huge step toward that physicality, possibly. So up front, they need that. And then at receiver, especially without Corey Davis, they, they ran a leak play against the Saints. And mm-hmm. 
on that play, Keelan Cole was in the left slot and uh, Jamison Crowder was coming from right to left on the, on the leak. And mm-hmm. Keelan Cole just got completely rerouted by Quan Alexander to the point where mm-hmm. it screwed up the spacing on the leak. And as Crowder was trying to come over on it, he just got knocked like three yards off his path by a linebacker or defensive end, something. And you watch mm-hmm. that play and it's like, that doesn't happen to the Bucks, right? When no. you have these linebackers that look like pinballs or the mm-hmm. wide receivers that look like pinballs. And that's just what this team feels like right now. And that's why, so I think some offensive line retooling, getting Becton back. And this is not the sexiest idea in the world, but somebody that I was just in my mind, like, what do this, what does this team need in terms of presence? Like David Njoku would help this team. Mm-hmm. Like somebody like that, where you have a dual threat tight end who's a willing and able blocker, has some juice to him, is only 25. It's not the most exciting thing in the world. But like those are the types of players that make up the connective tissue of a roster that the Jets don't have right now. Would you give Dalton Schultz $12 million a year? Probably not. I, I feel like they could use, and Dalton Schultz is not like George Kittle. When it comes to George Kittle, there's like two people on the planet like George Kittle. One of them is George Kittle. The other one's Rob Gronkowski. You're not going to get either of those. That's not going to be part of this offense. But I feel like, you know, they if they were going to invest at a position, I think tight end would be the position I would go for. I, I think having that sort of versatility, having that sort of, um, you know, schematic impact of being able to mask what you're going to do before the staff more frequently. I, you know, coming from the Shanahan offense, I feel like they, they don't have that with their current personnel on offense. And I think adding, I would add two tight ends. I, I, I you know, I, they don't have to be 10 plus million per year, like the, the Patriot situation, but they can be two starting caliber tight ends. I think that would be the first thing I would look for this offseason. Actually, it's a pretty deep class of, of uh, UFA tight ends. It really is actually. And I, I think that that's a really good thought. And for me watching them, they don't have layups. And they don't have layups for a couple of different reasons. They don't have the layup guy. Like I, there aren't that many yak monsters at tight end, right? There's one George Kittle, but finding diet George Kittle just to give yourself some layups and easy ones is really important. The other thing that I had on their list, when you think about layups, their quarterback is so broken mechanically right now mm-hmm. that he's incapable of completing layups. His footwork is a mess. He has zero confidence right now. He's dirting balls on checkdowns. And to me, the number one thing they need to do is they need to work on the support system he has in the building. And mm-hmm. part of the problem was they had one of the most experienced, respected quarterback coaches in the entire NFL coming into this season, and he tragically passed away. And mm-hmm. that's a real thing. Losing Greg Knapp on the eve of this year, I think, is really tough on them because mm-hmm. having that guy and having that voice in the room for a young quarterback who is talented, but a little bit volatile in some of the ways that he plays would have been really helpful. And then compounding that problem, they didn't have a veteran quarterback. They had Mike mm-hmm. White, like having a Brian Hoyer or a Matt Schaub or somebody like that, a Case Keenum to be an example for a guy coming into the league. That stuff is important. And I just think they didn't think about that enough while building the roster. And I really think they need to consciously try to create a better support system for him in year two. Again, similar to me with what the Chargers did with Justin Herbert, where they brought in Chase Daniel and they had the, the way they thought about the coaching staff, I thought was really good. Obviously, Robert Sala is going to be there, but I just think there are little things they can do to help him because the details of the way that he plays right now are really, really messy. I can't believe Robert Mays came on my podcast for like the eighth consecutive year and advocated for Chase Daniel to get a job somewhere. I do think that guy is important. Like, even if it's Nick Foles, right? Or if, if Nick Foles is a free agent this year, Andy Dalton's a free agent this year, somebody of in that mold, they have Joe Flacco now. But <laughs> I think an entire they training for Joe Flacco. I know, I know they did. I think also, having an entire offseason, an entire training camp, like, and somebody with institutional knowledge of the offense, like Brian Hoyer played for the Niners in 2017. He is a free agent. Somebody like that. I know, again, it's not the most exciting thing ever, but. This is what you should be looking at on this play. This is where your eyes should go. This is what we're trying to accomplish. This is the way within this offense, you can pick up on this and this and this. Having that Rosetta Stone of the offense in the room with you, I do think impacts young quarterbacks. I do think it's important. I have some bad news for you, Mace. What's that, buddy? Nick Foles is not a free agent this offseason. <laughs> he has... 
he has four million guaranteed coming from the Bears in 2022. Isn't that his contract is voided though, isn't it? No, it's not. I thought he was. A, I thought he was hit the market. It it only voids if he hits an unknown incentive threshold, which is sounds like a like like a Joy Division album, an unknown incentive threshold. But also, given that he hasn't played, unless the incentive threshold is with the third stringers, uh, he is not hitting it and coming back for four million dollars guaranteed next year. He was on the spot track list of free agent quarterbacks. I don't know why he would have been, but that's that's neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. The story of the twenty twenty one Chicago. Bears. Robert Mays, a pleasure to have you on as always, buddy. Please plug where people can listen to more of your audio and written stylings. The written stylings don't happen much anymore. So yeah, <laughs> you, you may fair. be looking for a while there. Uh, the audio <laughs> stylings happen every day. Uh, the athletic football show is five days a week. We had Kurt Warner on today. Who, uh, the show will be running on Wednesday. We had a really nice conversation with him just about kind of the state of modern quarterback play. I, I feel like the last five years or so since the 2017 draft, I think that's the one that really sticks out. We've thought about young quarterbacks in the league as these really hyper talented new wave guys. You know, the Patrick Mahomes is the Justin Herberts, Josh Allen's Lamar Jackson's. And this year to me has been a reminder that you can win in different ways at that position. Joe Burrow, Dak Prescott, Mac Jones, and Kurt was, the epitome of that during a hall of fame career. And we talked about that idea for a good long while. So if you guys want to check out that conversation, I would sincerely appreciate it because I really enjoyed having it. Slight upgrade on the knowledge level in terms of co-hosts, uh, me, me to Nate ties to Kurt Warner, uh, slight, slight, uh, upgrade. I will just say that much. Oh buddy. I miss you. Come on now. <laughs> we'll see. I think I would recommend doing the podcast with Nate or Kurt Warner. Uh, more frequently than me. But if Kerr wants to do the show full time, I'm open to it. <laughs> see, <laughs> seems like he's got some stuff going on. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. Maybe that can be the plot of the second Kurt Warner movie is he he takes over a podcast and takes it to the Super Bowl. Oh, man, what a story that'll be. What a story that will be indeed. Well, Maze, till next time, you know how I feel. Thank you. Always, bud. Good talk to you. All right, you know Robert Mays. If you're listening to this show, I would imagine. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We have more audio coming next week. Uh, I believe we may have a special show with another old friend of ours uh, coming up next week, a joint show, perhaps. We will see. But thanks so much for listening. More audio on the way next week. And hope you guys are having a good December. Hope your best ball teams are going well, heading into the playoffs. Hope your fantasy teams are going well, heading into the playoffs. And hope your NFL teams are going well as well. Have a good one.